Oregon football needs to be able to bolster its pass rush for the fall if they're going to maximize their defensive potential. There's a name in the transfer portal for a Pac-12 player who they need to look out for. I'll tell you who that is, plus Oregon basketball came up a little bit short against USC. We will talk about all of that today on Locked on Ducks. Here we go. You are Locked on Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you for making this your first listen every day. It's part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks every single weekday. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.net. BetOnline is covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. If you ever want a question answered right here on the show by yours truly tweet with the hashtag ask LOD pod, or you can hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks DMS wide open. Get your question answered right here on the show. Always love fan engagement. If you haven't already like, and subscribe five-star review, nice comments. We love all of that sort of stuff always helps with the show. You may notice if you're watching on YouTube, I'm not in my usual studio today, currently coming to you from a uh, Springfield Suites in St. George, Utah. My brother's in town. We're playing some golf, and it is uh, fantastic. He waved in the background. So my brother, my older brother, Mitchell, he says hi. The guy from Disneyland a couple days ago, he says hello, Duck fans. Yeah, he's a fellow Duck himself. You're also noting, might, might notice i uh, not wearing an Oregon shirt right now. And, you know, it's not technically a requirement, but I'm sure some of you are baseball fans. This is a Seattle Mariners shirt, and right now baseball needs all the good vibes they can possibly get because, well, we all know what's happening at the moment. We don't need to go into that. Here's what we do need to get into today and why you come to this show to to listen to me, which I greatly appreciate. Some of you watch now on YouTube. There's a name in the transfer portal, a guy by the name of Mitchell Agude. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's a defensive end from UCLA. This should be Oregon's top target in the transfer portal right now you know until he commits somewhere and then there will be another top target this is just the way that the transfer portal works and Oregon has got some roster deficiencies I think overall the roster is in good shape for 2022 and they can win 9 10 maybe even 11 games depending on how the coaching staff is able to work together on game day but this is a name that Oregon could really really use with Kayvon Thibodeau going to the NFL there's no home run pass rusher for the Ducks. And Agude is a guy that I like for several reasons. 18 games in two seasons with the Bruins, 78 tackles, 15 and a half tackles for loss. So that's almost a tackle a tackle for loss per game. Uh, that's, that's a decent rate. Four and a half sacks, four passes defended, four quarterback hits, seven forced fumbles. In 2021 alone, he had 54 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, and four forced fumbles. When you watch this guy play, he's got this kind of energy, passion, and just explosiveness about him. He's a pretty big guy, 6'4", 245 pounds. He's an edge rusher, and this is what Oregon needs. You know, I've talked about in previous episodes how the Ducks need to go to the transfer portal to continue to bolster the defensive line. This is exactly the kind of guy that I am talking about. And I, it should be a recruiting priority for Dan Lanning and the staff for the class of 2023 and beyond. I'm sure it will be, you know, defensive coaches, you got to have the pass rushers up there. It's always, always critical, but 
there's something that I, I really like about Agude in addition to the fact that he looks pretty good on tape and he's productive in the Pac-12 conference. He's probably UCLA's best pass rusher from this past season, maybe the past two years, but this last one especially, he was really, really effective. Their defensive coordinator wasn't very good, and they're hiring a new one, which they should, but he was one of their better players for sure. He was second-team All-Pac-12 after he started his career at Riverside Community College. I'm a huge fan of JUCO players because they have that grit and grind mentality about them because they've had to work extra hard to get to where they are. Every D1 athlete has to put in however many hours that you can't even count or, or tally up in any measurable way. You have to put in all of that sort of time, all that sort of effort that nobody sees to get to the D1 level. But to get there after going to a junior college first, the JUCO life is not exactly glamorous the way it is at a big Division One school, right? When he went from a JUCO to UCLA, his lifestyle improved dramatically. But that, that tells me that this guy is just all in on football and everything that it can do for him. He'll have one more year of eligibility in Oregon right now is is in the final four for him and it, i have said they need to keep adding the defensive line interior we're probably set but defensive end it, it's just it's up in the air you just lose so much production with cave on thibodeau because he was just a game wrecker coordinators had to scheme specifically for him and plays with uh, you know chipping with running backs and tight ends he just brought so much to the table not having him leaves a massive massive void and we saw in, in several games when oregon's pass rush wasn't the same it was when Kayvon Thibodeau was not on the field and he single-handedly won games for Oregon a season ago and when you look at the defensive back position as well I think there's some depth there in terms of talent right Christian Gonzalez in the transfer portal from Colorado Dante Manning a five-star uh Triquez Bridges we've seen a little bit of him Jalen Davies Bennett Williams Jeffrey Bossa there, there's some guys there but Outside of Christian Gonzalez, there's really not that much experience. And Bossa, remember, is going to be transitioning back to safety from linebacker where he played this year. I think he'll be a lot better at strong safety anyway. But the best way to help your young defensive backs, or frankly, any defensive backs that you have, is to have a great pass rush. And Oregon right now has got the interior guys, Popo Almavai, Brandon Dorless, Sam Taimani. They've got depth on the interior to be able to get after the passer and stuff the run a little bit. But off the edges, this roster is pretty, pretty weak right now. And I'll tell you just exactly how weak after I tell you that uh, football might be over this season. We're talking about it anyway. But basketball is in full steam for pro and college hoops from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts and news this season. It's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC. They had Olympic coverage and information. They've got everything that you could want. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. So Oregon needs help at the defensive end position. That much is, is pretty clear. Braden Swenson is probably the only name that any Oregon fans will really recognize coming back at the defensive end slot. DJ Johnson will probably be going back to, to defensive end. I think that's the last word out on him. But just to put in perspective how badly Oregon needs to be able to look at the transfer portal and get a guy like Mitchell Agude, they're in the final four. It's Tennessee, Washington, Miami, and the Ducks. 
Last year, Oregon as a team had 23 sacks, which, by the way, was not a good number. So even with Kayvon Thibodeau, it was not a particularly productive front line when you talk about getting after the passer and getting him on the ground. 23 sacks by the Ducks, seven by Kayvon Thibodeau. That's, you know, about a third for those of us math whizzes at home. Four of them by Noah Sewell, our middle linebacker. Braden Swenson and Brandon Dorless were the only other two who had multiple sacks. Dorless had three and Swenson had, or excuse me, Swenson had three and Dorless had two and a half respectively. So there isn't even a lot of production in terms of sacking the quarterback returning to this Oregon line. And that's why I think Agude just makes so much sense. And he's a Kayvon Thibodeau type of player in how he plays stylistically. No one is Kayvon Thibodeau except for, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, obviously, for, for Michigan, who's also going to be a top five draft pick. But I think that if you add a guy like Agude, you can have an anchor who you can look at and say, that's your number one passer. That's a guy who, you know, you're looking for on, on third and six, right? That's what we were always doing this past season as Duck fans. Third and six, where's Thibodeau? That's what the other offense was doing. Third and six, third and seven, third and ten. Where's Kayvon Thibodeau? How is he going to get after the passer? Oregon doesn't have a guy who can do that right now. I mean, Braden Swenson has shown some nice moments, but on the whole, he really struggled to generate pressure at a high rate when he was one-on-one -on -one with a tackle. And Agude is a guy who it just plays with such a high motor and I think could really help out this defensive line. You know, that, that 23 sacks number wasn't even, it was barely outside the top 60 teams nationally. Yeah, they, they were not even in the top 60 nationally in total sacks. And uh, Thibodeau missed some time. He still led our team with seven. This is just a clear position of need. And I think the staff has done a great job addressing the defensive back position. You know, you've got the two Jaleels coming in as well with the guys that I mentioned earlier in the show. So I think that they're, I think they're set there and guys just have to be able to play and grow into their full potential. But every DB needs a good defensive line. That's just the reality of, of playing football. And I think Mitchell Agude is a guy who can bring that. I, I think that he can be a little bit of an anchor and it's just, it's just for one year. He's played each of his last four years, you know, two at Riverside community college and two at UCLA, but he's productive with the Bruins. You watch him on tape, you see why. And I, I think that Oregon wants to remain in the mix for this guy. They're in the final four and they should be pursuing him really, really hard because it's it's clearly a position of need. So I, I hope and and pray that we're going to be able to get Mitchell Agude, but we'll follow that as uh, as we go along, which is why, if you haven't already, like and subscribe. Maybe you're watching on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel if you want to leave a comment in there. Always welcome. <sighs> okay, we got to get through this. I was thinking about recording this last night when it happened, but my brother and I were kind of losing our minds, and if I'd come on here, it would have been a really depressing pod to talk about Oregon basketball in the moments after it happened against USC. So now that I've had time to process it and accept it a little bit and try to keep my, uh, my thoughts on the bright side a little bit, which there is, I'll, I'll get to that. But, you know, as always, I wrote down some, some pregame thoughts, just kind of, you know, what I'm thinking going into that game against USC, what a win would have meant for the ducks that they're capable of playing good basketball against teams more than once would have been their third straight doing it. Really? They did. Oregon played well in this game. They just blew their execution in the final minute. It was really, really frustrating. And if they'd been able to beat USC, then you beat both the Washington teams. Things would have looked really good in terms of their at-large hopes. 
because coming in, they had moved themselves up from next four out to the first four out, according to Joe Lenardi, with that win against UCLA. But, you know, I I was also looking for what combo of guards were going to have good nights and can Gary bounce back? What sort of presence will the big guys have? Then we get into the game and USC, after allowing some early Oregon buckets inside, they went zone and that was continuously a problem. And the issue with this Oregon team, when another when when an opponent goes zone, their guards are really really streaky. When they're hot, they're red hot. But when they're cold, there's no you know kind of middling night from the. You'll rarely see Oregon shoot you know high thirties, low forties in a single game. They'll either be close to fifty percent or close to thirty percent. In this game, they were six of twenty three, and that's not going to get it done. But the, the other problem with Oregon's zone offense, when Quincy Gary is not on the court, there's no four man to attack on the high post. Eric Williams is a really nice player, but he's a three. So Young and Richardson were kind of hesitant to, to pull the trigger from distance, and they weren't making very many shots. Now, the good news is that Oregon was able to stay in this game after looking at a first half deficit because they rebounded the ball very well. The box outs were really good, which both of our big men do tremendously tremendously well. Kepnong and Dante are well coached in that respect, and they've come a long way, continue to grow. And they, they were influencing shots as well, which is which is what Oregon needs defensively. They've always had that presence in the middle. The Jordan Bells, Chris Boucher's, Kenny Wooten's of the world. Uh, Dante and Kepnong are becoming a really nice tandem for Oregon down low when it comes to blocking shots. But Oregon got down 12 at the four and a half minute mark in the first half. Then Davion Harmon hit a three. Forced turnover, lobbed it up to Williams, and they got back within three. And then they ended up going on a 13-0 run to to get back in front. And then it was a one-point game at the half. I think USC was up. But what was so great about that was the Ducks showed urgency. And I've talked about that a lot with regards to Oregon basketball the last couple weeks. Those ASU and Cal games, there was just no urgency from the Ducks. They weren't playing like a team that was on the bubble fighting to keep their season alive. But in this game against USC, they showed that. And that kept them in it. USC is a good team who's been playing well. They'd won six of seven coming in. Now they've won seven of eight. And and speaking of urgency, no one does that better than Kepnong and Dante. And Dante, man, in that first half, he was he was hustling. He had a presence at both ends of the court. I love getting him involved in the offense and the pick and roll game to kind of draw the defense's attention. He's just such a big body. He's hard to miss. I mean, anytime he runs through the lane after setting a screen, someone's going to rotate over and that can create some openings. We'll get to the final half of this game, which had a lot of eye rolling and frustrated screaming and (laughs) some uh, less than ideal emotions as a fan, but we'll we'll close on, on a positive note. It's not all bad for Oregon basketball. It's just not as good as it could be. But what is good is that Bilt Bar helps you stick to your New Year's resolutions, which by now you've usually given up on. We're at the end of February at this point, but it's easy to stick to them when you're eating Bilt Bars. And if you haven't tried the Puffs, you're missing out on one of the best things Bilt Bar has ever made, and their regular bars are fantastic. The Puffs, even better. It's the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. We all remember eating s'mores around a campfire. Imagine protein-infused marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate, Go to built.com, scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away. High protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carb, everything you want. 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, 17 grams of protein. You know, I'm a big golfer. I've got these in my golf bag all the time now. Anytime I get hungry on the course, 
pop out a Built Bar, Built Bar, I am good to go. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15, get 15% off your order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Oregon's cold shooting kind of, they, they made it work for a while and they hung around, but it catches up to you eventually. And that was definitely the case in this game against USC. There were some big moments you know, Jacob Young late in the game had this desperation three as the shot clock was winding down. I still can't believe he made that shot. That was one of the threes that Oregon made. And Will Richardson had a really tough night. And that was one of the things I looked at coming into this game was, you know, what combo of guards is going to succeed? Young overall was pretty good, but Will Richardson struggled. Davion Harmon struggled with a shot. When two of those guys are struggling rather than having two on and one off, that's really, really tough for Oregon. But they they did enough. In this game, you know, I mean, uh, we, we went down one late in this ball game, and Quincy Garrier off the feed from Will Richardson playing likely his last game in Matthew Knight Arena puts us up two, and that made us six for 23 from distance, which is just a painful thing to see for a team that is capable of doing more, but they just weren't in it. And USC, to their credit, they're a long athletic team. Andy Enfield, who my brother reminded me the other day, was the head coach at Florida Gulf Coast, Lob City, Sweet 16 is a 15 seed. You know, they were Oral Roberts before Oral Roberts, March, where legends are made. Anyway, I think that USC has got some really great defensive players, and they're really well coached, and their athleticism was a problem for the Ducks. So we go up two with 22 seconds left, and then it's just... It's painful to go back through, but it's better to do it now than to do it last night, or I would have just come on here and I might have violated a bunch of rules and said some swear words because that's kind of how I was feeling. I know it's how many of you were feeling. You're up to 22 seconds left. USC's best three-point shooter walks down. This was not a complicated play. They didn't go deep into their bag of tricks to get him an open look for three. They set him a high ball screen. That was it, and Oregon was out of sorts defensively. Eric Williams switches on to Isaiah Mobley. Gary A is sinking below the elbow at the free throw line. No idea why. No no idea. I, I have no clue. I've watched that play five or six times. No idea what was going on there. Either Williams was supposed to hedge or Gary A was supposed to switch, but I guarantee you, you were not supposed to give their best three-point shooter a wide open look with six feet of space and a late contest from Quincy Garrier. That was not the plan. And that's how it unfolded. So I, I don't know how that's happening. You know, I, I think a lot of people are talking about the, the last play and it was not particularly well drawn up. In my opinion, it was just kind of a, it looked like there was only one option on the play and USC because they're so long and so athletic, they were able to just switch everything, and they took away the screen. Screen, The ball was trying to go to Quincy Gary, I believe, and it ends up having to go to Jacob Young one-on-one with a 6'9 post player. He drives into a crowd, gets it behind his back to Will Richardson somehow, who gets a decent look. He goes up, he hangs, he's a lefty on that side, and he just isn't able to get it high enough off the backboard for the win. And, and then all the stuff after the game, just frustrating. You know, USC stomped on the O at center court. And look, it, it's USC. I don't have that high of expectations for them. So that's all I really need to say on that. 
And Oregon loses this game when they played well. They didn't shoot it well, but they played well. They got back into it with defense. They made enough baskets. You know, they scored 69 points in this game. And with a Dana Altman coach defense, that's usually enough. It should have been enough. It should have been enough. And yet it wasn't because of one play late. And Dana Altman did something I don't agree with. You won't hear me question him often because he's an outstanding basketball coach. But for your two biggest defensive sequences of the ball game, you had both bigs on the bench, Dante and Kepnong. The, the, the bucket before the go-ahead three for USC, they got Isaiah Mobley switched on to Davion Harmon on a late rotation. Kepnong and Dante contest that shot and at least make it tough, maybe even force a miss as they had you know, in the first half. Isaiah Mobley was scoreless in the first half of this ball game. So I understand the small lineup from a certain perspective at the offensive end when you're going up against the zone, though the big men were able to find some holes in the zone late. But I understand if you want five shooters on the floor, but at the defensive end to have no shot blocking presence, I, I just think that that opened the eyes wide for USC to go into the paint and attack. And they did. They got a bucket and then they came down and we, we gifted them a three. So that was a really frustrating way to lose a game. It was really, really frustrating because you hear coaches say all the time, we got to play a full 40 minutes. Oregon played 39 minutes and 30 seconds of good basketball, maybe even more than that. It was probably 39 minutes and 40 seconds. But the final 20 wasn't there, and that is brutal. They played well enough to win this game. I thought they played better than USC overall, you know, save for a run that the Trojans had at the end of the first half. And now Oregon got the split that they were – told they needed to get from Joe Lenardi to keep their at-large bid hopes alive. But you had to split with the L.A. schools. They did sweep the Washington schools, both on the road, where Oregon has struggled this year. They've lost uh, two straight games on the road down in uh, in the desert to Tempe, uh, or to Arizona State and Tempe, and then in Tucson to Arizona, both of which were winnable in their own right. Don't need to go back into them. But we've got to be both Washington schools and then get at least to the semifinals. Now, if you beat both Washington schools, you'll get a bye into the quarterfinals and one Pac-12 tournament win should be enough. But this would have been so big for the Ducks. It would have been huge for their resume. Absolutely massive to have two more quad one wins going into the final stretch. It would have been nice. It would have been really, really nice. And uh, but but that's the good news is going into Thursday, Lenardi said you need to do this. Well, though we could have done better than what he said, we've accomplished step one. We've accomplished step one. That's the good news. And though we have to again stress out every game and monitor the first four in and or the the last four in and the first four out next four, all that sort of stuff. There's still a chance. So that that's the positive news. And at the end of the day, what you're looking for with this Oregon team is just a chance. They've got it. Got to beat the Cougs. Got to beat the Huskies and show up well in the Pac-12 tournament. Two more weeks to go. I hope in a few weeks I'll be able to talk about Oregon looking for an upset bid and big dance. But we will just have to wait and see. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.